Yo, Albert Tate Podcast Season 1 and a half. It's the remix season. It was time for me to fire myself. Nobody understands what I've had to endure to get and achieve what I've done. Don't feel embarrassed about your call. I feel like we're at this threshold of opportunity. Yo, yo, Albert Tate Podcast Season 1 and a half. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Yo, we are having a blast. I'm loving of these conversations and I'm getting a, I'm getting a chance to express myself. Season one, you know, I just kind of let my guests do the talking. This time I get to do all the talking. Ain't nobody else talking but me. So I'm, I'm having a good time. It's all about, uh, we call it the remix because I'm just taking their thoughts in my experience in our conversation and kind of reflecting on um, some of the things that captured me, some of the things that led me to reflect and kind of giving my thoughts. My hope is that it would encourage you um, and that you will find more opportunities to be inspired, be encouraged, to be pushed, to be better. Uh, and that's my hope in this remix season. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Season one, I had a conversation with a Christian leader that's just phenomenal. I admire him so much. His name is Jossie Choco. Um, he's from Australia and runs a ministry in India um, of pastors that go out and share the gospel um, in sometimes a hostile community. Uh, many of the pastors that he serves are people who have been disowned by their family um, because they've chosen a faith that they weren't raised to have. Um, Hinduism in India um, is the national religion. So to be a Christian pastor, especially in certain parts of India, there are certain parts of India where they have just large churches and it's, it's, um, it's not a big of an issue, but there are other regions of India. And um, I'll speak um, kind of abstractly on purpose uh, because sitting right now, a couple of those workers are sitting in prison um, because of their faith. Um, so I'll, I'll be careful with how I talk about them, but they're experiencing hostility, um, persecution, um, and even imprisonment. Praise God, we got a text message just the other day that three of the four that are in just got released. And there's one that was still praying that God would open up the doors and the windows of heaven um, and open up those prisons and, and, and let them free. But sitting with Jossie and talking about the pastors that he has the privilege of leading and training, he said something so significant. He said, um, after their training, um, they themselves, not um, initiated by the organization, but they themselves created an extra ceremony, an extra pledge, an extra vow, if you will. Jossie looked at me and he said, Albert, they take a vow of martyrdom. Basically, they're willing to die for the calling that God has given them. Oh, wow. It just challenged me so much and it made me reflect on my own calling, my own calling the ministry and the pastoral ministry and the preaching ministry and leading. And I just reflect on some of the elements of my calling. Um, and there are a couple of things about calling that I just want to share that, that have come out of my reflections. Number one, I struggle with even being worthy to be called by God. People talk about calling and yeah, I got a calling and stuff. And I, I you know, I, I don't go there immediately. Immediately I go to how unqualified I am. I had to get my GED, I flunked out of high school. So everything, there's a tape recorder in my head by the enemy 
that just repeats, you're not smart enough. You're, you're not intelligent. So how are you gonna teach someone and you're dumb? Uh, you don't have the intellectual properties. You don't, you didn't go to seminary. You didn't go to Bible college. This is early on. I've been to Bible college and visited seminary for a while, for a little while since then. But even then you struggled. You're not, you're just not smart. And then I, I look at my sins. I look at my proclivities. I look at my failures. I look at my, the lust, the greed, the shallowness there. The, the vain, the, the vainness in my life, I look at all those things and I think I'm definitely not qualified to be used. I'm just so unworthy. The first thing that I had to realize about calling is that it really has nothing to do with your worth. It's not about your, it's not about your worth. You guys have heard the saying, he doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Um, you have to have a, an intimate, relationship with the grace of God in order to walk in a calling. You, you just really do. Here's what I mean. Um, I remember early on in my ministry, I was preaching and it was one of those weeks where I hadn't studied, I hadn't prepared, I hadn't gotten myself together like I should. I, I just wasn't. So my prayer to God before I got ready to preach and you know, my early years of ministry, as you guys hear my story, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't glamorous at all. I had about 15 people in the audience um, but I, but I took it seriously, um, and I hadn't prepared. So I just remember praying to God. I said, God, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy to be used by you this week. I, I hadn't studied like I should. I hadn't prayed like I should. I hadn't spent time in the word like I should. God, I'm just so unworthy. And I'll never forget the, the, the Lord saying back to me, Albert, when you studied all week, you still weren't worthy. When you prayed all night, you still weren't worthy. This calling, this privilege to serve is not based on your worth and somehow you qualified because you read enough pages in the Bible. No, you are standing here by the grace of God. It is by the grace of God that you stand. It is by the grace of God that you preach. It is by the grace of God that you're able to lead and answer a walk in any calling that I've given you. So don't step into this concept of calling by, by misconstruing the understanding of worth. You are not worthy of this. But Christ has made you worthy. His blood has made you worthy. So you're not saying yes because you're worthy. You're saying yes because God is worthy of my response. My response is, yes, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll serve you through teaching. I'll serve you through leading. I'll serve you through serving my brothers and sisters. I'll serve you through shepherding. It, it, my response is, yes, God, because you are worthy. So the first thing you need to understand about calling is that it ain't about you. It is about who God is. And because of who he is, he is worthy of you saying yes to whatsoever he calls you to do. What, whatsoever he asks you to do. So whatsoever is Southern colloquialism that just says means whatsoever. Uh, but we just tie it together and make it one word. Whatsoever you do, he calls you to do. You say yes because he's worthy. It's the grace of God, friends. So the first thing that I want you to understand about calling is that it's not about you, it's about God, and it's about your response to God and his worthiness. And that warrants a yes, it warrants a yes. Um, the other thing about calling is you gotta participate. God called me to preach, I knew it. 
I had the calling on my life. It wasn't something that I ever desired. Both my grandfathers preached, but I never sat around and said, I want to be like my granddad. They both pastored uh, 40 years, uh, great shepherds. Um, it was just never me. I didn't think that was me. I didn't, it wasn't my thing. But once it was clear that it was, God says, you got to participate. This is what I mean by participate. I was reading um, the book of, the, the book of uh, John and where it talks about Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of God. Uh, Mary and Martha's sisters were friends. They, they, all, they, were, they were homies. Lazarus gets sick. They call Jesus, no answer. Lazarus dies. They actually call Jesus, no answer. Lazarus has now been dead for four days. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he sees they're very frustrated with him and his tardiness. Because Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Different theologians ponder and they pontificate on why Jesus wept. Um, some say it's because of their lack of faith in him that he cried. Some say it was because he so resonated with their pain that he wanted to sit and cry with them. Either way, Jesus sat and cried. Now, part of me is like, Jesus, why are you crying with them if you know you're about to raise him from the dead? Just go on, raise him up from the dead, and then y'all can celebrate and we can forget these tears. But no, Jesus cried with them. He wanted them to know that he felt their pain. And I believe Jesus also experienced a little pain of his own because of just the lack of belief in him. Either way, Jesus gets up, he wipes the tears, and he says, roll the stone away. Now, my cynical side says, Jesus, if you're powerful enough to raise Lazarus from the dead, ain't you powerful enough to move this stone? Do you know how big this stone is? We got to put a lot of work to get this stone out. Why we all got to come in here and help move this stone? Can't you just speak to the stone and it roll away? As a matter of fact, we'll discover in the resurrection, you did. Y'all just moved the stone in and you just got up. Why you going to make us move this stone when you got all the power? And I can just hear Jesus saying, okay, well, you need to do something in this miracle. So if you don't want to move the stone, I'll move the stone and you raise him from the dead. How about that? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do the part that only I can do. But the part that you can do, you need to do. I'm going to do a miracle in your life, but I'm inviting you to participate. And you're going to have to participate and contribute and do what you can do for the miracle. I had a calling to preach on my life and I wanted to preach. Um, but I had this mountain of academic insecurity. And I never forget seeing my mentor preach for the first time, Brian Loritz. And I remember he, I mean, if you haven't heard Brian Loritz, Google him now. Unfortunately, the problem will be you will search his name, find his sermons, Google him, and you will never listen to me again. Uh, and I will not be mad because I understand because the boy is just bad. He's just one of the most phenomenal communicators of, uh, in the game. Uh, and I heard him preach for the first time. I'll never forget it. And I remember saying in a prayer to God, I said, Lord, I want to preach like that. And I heard the Lord say back to me, Albert, if you want to preach like that, you got to go to school. <laughs> well, me going to school, God knew that that was one of the most, that was my biggest fear. That was the place of my biggest failure. That was the place where I gave up and stopped believing. Kind of like when Jesus looked at Mary and Martha and said, show me where you laid him. Show me where you gave up. Show me where you stop believing in me. Show me the full culmination of your fear. Show me where you laid him. Jesus 
was saying to me, Albert, if you want to go back to school, you need to roll the stone away. I'm going to do some miraculous, but I need you to participate. I need you to do some heavy lifting and let's do this thing together. God's giving you a calling. You got to be willing to do the heavy lifting. I signed up and went back to school, afraid, fearful, because the last time I showed up in this space, it was failure. It's kind of like Mary and Martha. You want me to go back to the grave? You want me to go back to the place where, I, where we gave up? It's probably smelly by now. I walked into that school so insecure, so fearful, because the last time I was here, I failed miserably. Got my GED, got accepted into Bible college, and I started doing the heavy lifting of participation. I started rolling the stone away and I started lifting academically and God just began to do miraculous thing in my preaching. He began to do miraculous things in my communication. I began to learn, I began to absorb knowledge. It was amazing, it came alive. Albert, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say it's not about your worth, it's about God, but he does invite you to participate. If you wanna build and start a new business, you need to know business. If you want to start a ministry, you need to understand the fundamentals of how, the, how it works. What are the best practices of the ministry? Move the stone, do the heavy lifting, know what you're doing, participate. God just isn't going to do something. Like the two fish and the five loaves of bread, the miracle. He fed 15,000 people, but that miracle would not have happened if he didn't have the little boy participating with his two fish and his five loaves. Bring something to the table. Say, Lord, here's how I want to participate. If you want good health, if you want, if you want to lose 30 pounds, he's like, cool, I'll give you, I'll, I'll work with you, but you got to go to the gym. You just can't sit on the couch eating Fritos and the Lord perform a miracle and lose weight. No, you got to participate. God's giving you a calling. You want to know what the calling is? Find out what, the, what your burden is, by the way. It's giving you a burden for something. It's giving you a calling. Your burden usually produces your calling. And out of your burden, Answer the call and participate. Participate. Don't just sit and pray that somebody will call you for a job. Get out. Start pursuing. Participate in the miracle. God's going to do what only he can do. But he's also going to look at you and say, all right, but you move the stone. You go back to school, Albert, so you can preach like Brian Loritz. Parenthetically, I preach just like him because I just listen to his stuff and reuse it all the time. Uh, so God answered my prayer. Finally, um, when you think about calling, I want you to think about, it's not about your worth, but God's worth. It's not about, um, it's about you participating and you moving the stone. And finally, don't, don't underestimate the power of failure. <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of failure. I'm telling you, there's something beautiful that God produces in your failure. I know that sounds crazy. And the enemy wants to keep us so afraid from failure that we won't try anything. And I'm telling you, if you're ever gonna go after something big, if you're ever gonna answer a calling, if you're ever gonna fulfill a purpose that's greater than yourself, you're going to fail. Can we just take the big, the big stigma off of failure? You're gonna fail, you're gonna mess up. You're gonna mess up publicly, you're gonna mess up privately, you're going to fail. You're gonna try something and it's not gonna work. You're gonna have to look people in the eye and say, hey, well, that didn't work, now I did it. 
Failure is a part of the story. Ask Peter. Peter failed Jesus miserably. He publicly denounced him, rejected him, and the cock crowed. I was just in Israel, and there's a space where they feel like was the place where Peter would have denied Jesus. And I'm telling you, 2,000 years later, there's still a cock crowing. I've been to Israel twice. Every time I'm in that spot, I can still hear that thing crowing, and it reminds me failure is a part of the story. Don't try to, don't try to avoid it. Don't try to, don't be fearful of it. I mean, you don't understand what I'm saying. I mean, you want to do everything you can to prevent failure, obviously, but I'm just saying, don't be so afraid of it that it keeps you from being productive. Because I'm convinced out of the failure of Peter, we get the faithful boldness of Peter in Acts. I don't think you see the Peter in Acts in confidence and faith without the Peter in the gospels in failure and shame. I believe his failure produced a faith. Yes, I said it. Because God doesn't waste pain, T.D. Jake says. I love it when he says it. God doesn't waste your failure. He will turn your failure into faith, into a moment, into an opportunity. The boldness that we see Peter speaking with is the direct fruit of the, of the, of the cowardice that we see Peter speaking in and failure when he's denying Jesus. If you don't think those two are connected, you're crazy. His greatest failure produced his greatest faith. My season of failure in school and academics, listen to my podcast. I talk about it almost every episode because it's produced such great faith. I've seen the miraculous hand of God. I know what it's like to fail and arise from the ashes and I ain't no phoenix. I'm a son of God who's trusted him and who's walked through failure and I'm telling you, I rise. Not to be too dramatic, but you know, hey, it's a podcast. You can use a little drama. I rise, still I rise from failure. You know what they use to grow plants in some of the best fertilizer? Is, is, is manure, it's cow dung. Literally bull, you get the point. Like I, it's, they use the crap to produce the crop. I'm saying a part of a calling is you answering the calling saying yes because God's worthy. A part of the calling is you participating, but when you start participating, I'm letting you know a part of the calling is gonna be failure. And allow the failure in your story to propel you to the faith that will be your destiny. Allow the failure in your story to propel you into the faith, that place that will ultimately be your destiny where God's will invades your life and you walk in the place where he's created you to be. He's calling you. He's calling you to greatness. And know that the manure, the crap in your life, God won't waste pain. It'll produce a crop and a harvest that will bring glory to the name of God. Answer the call. He's calling you. It's not about your worth. He needs your participation. He desires your participation and failure will work in your favor if you can turn it to faith for his glory. Amen. Be encouraged.
Stadia is a church planning organization whose vision is to see a world where every child has a church. Though our vision is God-sized, our mission is simple, to plant churches that intentionally care for children. Called and affirmed leaders who plant with Stadia are demonstrating what it means to plant churches that don't simply survive, but thrive. 90% of U.S. churches planted by Stadia are still engaged in their mission on their fifth birthday. And globally, more than 40,000 children have been sponsored as a result of U.S. churches partnering with our high-impact, like-minded partners. But we won't stop until every child has a church. There are more children needing churches right now than ever before. 8,600 new churches need to be planted every year in the United States alone in order to keep up with population growth. That translates to tens of thousands of churches globally. But we don't need only more churches. We need better churches. In the U.S., 3,700 churches close their doors every single year. And globally, many obstacles get in the way of the long-term success of churches. Stadia is committed to meeting the needs of children around the world by planting more and better churches. In the U.S., we now share our portfolio of services with open-handed generosity, providing services with no strings attached to planters, organizations, denominations, and networks so that more churches can be planted than ever before. We pray that our generosity may spur others to invest in church planting, both in the U.S. and around the world. We're honored to be a part of the church planting journey, and we anxiously look forward to seeing how God will work to transform the landscape of communities in the United States and around the globe. And we promise we won't stop until every child has a church. If you want to learn more, go to stadiachurchplanning.org.